Hello, and welcome to RPG PodQuest, the podcast that's not only about RPGs, but also is an RPG. I'm one of your hosts, Will. And I'm your other host, Evan. And this is episode number 11. That's right. How are you doing, Evan? How has your week been? My week has been as good as a week can be. This was actually a four-day long work week for me in particular because of Indigenous Peoples Day slash Columbus Day down here in the United States. Uh, And also just kind of a weird week, but I managed to get some gaming in. Uh, I I managed to do some gaming that is maybe not RPG related, but can't help but want to share it with you all. How about you, Will? How's your week been? That sounds fun. Uh, Mine was kind of similar. It was Thanksgiving here in Canada, so it was also a four-day work week for me. Uh, I didn't get in as much gaming as I wanted to because I was kind of between games and just couldn't, like nothing felt quite right. But then I ended up picking up a new game, which I will talk about uh, when we get to what we're playing. Sounds good. I think I know what it is, and I'm very excited. (laughs) And uh, I'm hoping that people are ready for not necessarily more of the same, but more of a good thing. Yes. That's... That's, that's the right way to put it. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing that I'd like to do before we get into games that we're playing is just make a correction about my time with Earthborn. So over this past week, I've actually put a whole lot more time into Eastward the game. And I mean Eastward in its totality. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. I've put more time into Eastward and not necessarily Earthborn. Um, and the comment that, or the correction that I need to make is about a specific subject that I talked about very early on in, in discussing Earthborn, but it also kind of bleeds into what I talked about the last time I talked about Earthborn, which is I, I had mentioned that I had hoped that the generals that you would have to fight in these castles, um, every time you, you start a new run of the... I guess it's the New Game Plus, but it's really just an expansion on the Earthborn campaign. Um, I had hoped that they would be randomized, but that's actually not the case. You always fight them in the same order, and I think you could go out of order if you really wanted to, but that would be really hard, just because some of the the ways that certain bosses behave is is a little bit different. Um, well, it's it, they're different from one another, and you also have this this issue where every time you beat one of the generals in these castles, the other ones become stronger. So you might be really comfortable with fighting the first general uh, and then fighting the stronger versions of all the other ones. But if you were to go out of your way and beat one of the other ones first, the first general would become stronger and that might completely, uh, you know, become a toss-up. But early on, when I had talked about Earthborn, I did mention that there are these certain portions of the map that are locked off, and it says that you need a magic key in order to unlock these. And a part of me said, like, oh, I think this might be something that you find in caves, or it might be something like a meta-currency that you build up over the course of your runs. But that's actually not the case, because I found out what these keys are by playing more of Eastward. When you get to a certain town in Eastward, you start getting uh, some more capsule uh, figurines, which I did talk about last uh, episode. And there's a specific tier of of capsule figurines that you can get, and they're very rare. Um, But when you do get them, they actually open up these 
locked corridors uh, on the map. And what that does is it leads you to a super hard boss uh, that, or a super hard enemy encounter, uh, because really a whole lot of this game is, is boss fights. And uh, you can fight that enemy in order to get really powerful rewards uh, that will really help the rest of your run. But I honestly don't know how I feel about tackling that stuff, just because the regular boss encounters are hard enough, as is. And if these bosses are even more difficult, or if they're on the same level as those, uh, you have a risk, or you run the risk of losing uh, your run just by trying to tackle one of these challenges. So it's, uh, it's a little strange. Um, I'm... I, I haven't actually challenged one of these enemies yet, but they are big, uh, scary dragons, and big, scary dragons are always something to keep an eye out for uh, in in RPGs. So I'm, I'm a little tentative on, on how I feel about Earthborn moving into this, this second part of its campaign, but that was the correction that I wanted to make, and uh, I hope I wasn't misleading anyone uh, in, in how they were playing the game or whether or not they thought that they would be able to play more of Earthborn than Eastward. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, like it's a super interesting game all around, and I'm I'm constantly amazed by how deep Earthborn is. Like it's really cool. I I would agree. Although at times I feel that the reason that I lose in Earthborn is just having a bad party composition mm-hmm. and just maybe not getting the right uh, combination of 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 good things uh, happen to me uh, or, or not letting that happen to me. Um, there's also this other mechanic in Earthborn that really, uh, it, it does put a damper on things, which is that if you fight enemies out in the field or in caves for too long, you, you only actually fight them for around, I want to say uh, three or four turns. But if you don't beat them by the end of your your third or fourth turn, they run away and you get reduced experience and also money. Mm-hmm. And that can that can really be a run killer, um, especially because your heroes do they they well, they don't revive from death if they're knocked out, but they do regain all their health when they level up. And so sometimes you just kind of want to get them right to to the point where they are going to level up after beating a certain enemy encounter so that you can kind of keep your run moving really smoothly so i don't know it it, it is complex i mean it is an rpg um mm-hmm. but again it is very bite-sized in how uh, and and there are there are very specific limits on how good you can become how much you can really do in the game and that can be a little frustrating because I'd like just a little bit more time to like grind and get ready, but the the time frame that you have uh, in the campaign is is very very limited in nature. But yeah, it is a game within a game, so uh, there is that. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, but that is all that I wanted to uh, correct, and we had you know, heard about the same news that a lot of Nintendo fans have heard about this week, which is the Nintendo Switch Online uh, expansion pack. Uh, I don't think we really need to comment uh, comment on it all that much, because not a whole lot of it has to do with RPGs. And there have been uh, a lot of comments about it by others, so... <laughs> certainly. <laughs> I don't know we can add much. 
myself included on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we can add all that much, but it doesn't really seem all that relevant to this podcast. Um, and the last thing that I'll say, and I'm just going to sneak this in here, but uh, the RPGs that you can play in the expansion pack are easily available on <laughs> another one-time purchase that sometimes is only about $15 on the eShop, so just tossing that out there. Yep, that is a really good point. <laughs> yeah. So, Will, what have you been playing this week? I know you haven't had a whole lot of time, but what's what's new on the plate yeah what's new on my plate is more east like you alluded to earlier more not more of the same but more good stuff uh so i i picked up east nine finally so i'm finally up to date on the series and you are Um, playing this on switch right yes that's correct so what i will say is uh, you know just before you get into things and I'm curious to hear your thoughts uh, as to whether or not you found this to be a problem or that you found this to be the case. But when I was playing through uh, East 9 a couple months ago now, uh, when it first released, the Switch version is not the best performing version of this game. I didn't really find that it it hindered my enjoyment of the overall experience, but I, I would be curious to hear your thoughts about that yeah for sure um and did you finish the game i did finish the game excellent excellent but yeah i'm around chapter three at the moment Um, okay i had a similar experience to east origin where i started over again not because i deleted my save file but because i felt like i missed something early on and i i went back and replayed the first couple chapters again okay so i played those twice um, there was specifically a plot point or something I thought I missed because I was a little confused about the main character has basically three alter egos going on at the beginning of the game, which is a bit much, and I was uh, yes. a little confused. Um, <laughs> but it turns out that he has a disguise. Um, so the disguise looks one way, his normal way looks another way, and then he has like the monstrum form, which looks a third way. And when you're navigating through the city, because it's all based in the city, um, like I think you already talked about this on an earlier episode, so it's based in a city. And as you run around, Adol is in his disguise. But if you go higher, like out of the streets, he doesn't need his disguise, I guess, and he automatically changes into his monstrum form. And then when you go back down to street level, like you're like almost web slinging around like Spider-Man in your super form. And then as soon as you get down to street level, you're back in your normal disguised form which is different than the normal normal form for adult because he's in disguise in this prison city so no one knows that he's sneaking in and out of the prison so i thought i missed something i was like why does he keep changing and i think i did miss a bit um, because i had accidentally skipped a couple cutscenes when i was hitting a on different things because there are a lot of just things that pop up in the middle of getting started in the game and I went back and watched them, and I was like, I, th- I think I understand that basically the Monstrums are like super a superhero team, and they have their alter egos, <laughs> and he's just changing into his superhero form, essentially, when he's not being seen by people, or he's trying to keep his identity a secret, essentially. I think that there is some reference, too, that if you are running around uh, in the streets in your mo- uh, monstrum form, like people maybe do react. But yeah, as long as you're kind of in the presence of other people, 
you are you're in your disguised form uh, but that is different also from another oh, no. <laughs> element of this game too uh, which is what's going on within the actual prison itself mm-hmm. and i don't really want to spoil that for anyone who who might have an interest in this but that is a real strange sort of of plot twist that i found pretty uh, enjoyable but i guess we can't really talk about that just yet <laughs> yeah that sounds interesting though i'm excited yeah. to find out what's happening because that's kind of the central mystery at this point um, but i'm really enjoying the game overall um and i'm kind of interested in how it follows this pattern that east 8 had and i honestly don't know if that was true of earlier games i know they have changed over the years but it follows a lot of the same structure of eight where you're in a new area and adults coming there for the first time and then you're kind of setting up a base there just like on the island in east eight and and gathering people to join you along the way and build up your resources and that kind of thing and then you also have I forget what they're called, but when you go to the other realm and you have kind of raids, which are like the raids that you do in East 8 as well. So there are a lot of same kind of things, which is interesting. And I think they did a good job of making it feel new and different and tie into the story in this unique setting um, while still following that structure that you've come to expect from the series. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest. I've played a little bit of uh, East 7. Okay. Which is only called e7 uh and i haven't gotten far enough into it yet to see if the these raid sections are in that game um i was kind of surprised to see the raid sections come back in monster Mm -hmm. nox i was too i they're they're different and they actually add a couple more unique folds on top of them as the game progresses too which i think is pretty neat um but I would say of the of the structural elements of East eight and nine, the raid parts are my least favorite part. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that they're bad, but especially after playing through them throughout two games, I, yeah. I think they've overstayed their welcome a little bit. And they feel like kind of a bonus mode or something. They don't feel like they're actually part of the progression of the story. I mean, they are tied in. Like, you need to do it to get to the next point, but it's just fighting a bunch of enemies in a in an area in waves. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. At least they do vary up the environments that you fight them in. Mm-hmm. And they will eventually, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing your or hearing your thoughts on, on how they vary the, the structure, too, uh, which is, is the, the neatest part. Um, but, you know, East, especially East 8 and, and 9, they follow another sort of similar structure, which is the chapter-based structure really does have that enter a new area, maybe do some quests, mm-hmm. and then you have your dungeon, right? And 9 uh, in particular has that that sort of gaining a new party member who can do a very specific thing and that thing is expanded upon a great deal in the dungeon that you tackle during that chapter yeah i like it i haven't gotten too far yet i've uh i've met the all the monsters i guess but i've only actually gotten one other one in my party which is the cat one 
and uh, who can run up walls and that ability is really fun that's actually what first hooked me on east because i'd been curious about the series but never played it and i downloaded the demo for east 9 and i was like you can run up walls i'm sold (laughs) (laughs) and so that that led me to be curious and check out east 8 um so yeah that really clicked with me i really like that it has kind of a i love the mobility in the game it has kind of a feel of assassin's creed or something where you're running up walls and like climbing over rooftops in the city um it's not quite as free form i guess as assassin's creed yeah but you are you know like scaling walls and leaping over from building to building and that kind of thing which i find really fun myself i was just going to say the first couple of monstrum uh, abilities in particular are very mobility based Mm -hmm. and it Things change as you get more of the the cast uh, together, but the last uh, mobility based monstrum uh, ability you get is is very, I guess the word I would use is rewarding or it's it's very liberating. Um, so I'm looking forward to you picking that up. Oh, nice! I love being able to just traverse more of the area and get around in new ways. It makes it really fun, and I like how they let you uh, like you share them your mm-hmm. oh i forget what they're called gifts i think they're yeah. called gifts you share your gifts so if one character can do it they can all do it which is just a really seamless kind of way to do it, it makes it fun and um yeah i'm looking forward to running up more walls <laughs> yeah it's it's very snappy that's I, yeah. I think the the key element you know you could say it's like assassin's creed because of the verticality and freedom of movement but they they also know that this is an action rpg and they don't want you to be necessarily wasting your time with that stuff so they are just like you know what you can run up walls you can do it wherever you want uh go for it right and it's not like you're like climbing left and right and avoiding things or navigating the climbing itself it's more like you hit a button and you run up the wall exactly yeah which i i like uh, a whole lot mm-hmm. um and i will also say so you you've gone through the dungeon i believe that's in the sewers right yes yes uh and so i was really impressed uh in looking at the the map after completing that dungeon uh to see that i had missed a whole lot of treasure Mm -hmm. in that dungeon and i was i was like oh is i really felt like this dungeon was very linear there weren't a lot of branching paths so i i went back in uh, and, you know, I did a little bit more grinding because the grinding in, in East is a little bit different from how other uh, action RPGs are. Um, but I ended up finding all these little nooks and crannies, and some of them I couldn't even get to with the party that you you start with uh, for that dungeon um, because I came back maybe one or two chapters later. And uh, I was really impressed. And I think that the dungeon design in this installment uh, is... I, I would say like a pretty marked step up from what's in eight at least. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's interesting after having just played Origin as well, because to see the similarities there in the structure and this kind of indoor theme, I guess, where everything's kind of in the city versus the tower from East Origin, it's, it feels very similar. And I was a wor- little worried about it because... I loved the outdoor, like exploring these natural areas and how open that felt in East 8. Um, open in terms of 
I guess the setting more than anything, honestly, because they were still very kind of linear and dungeon-esque maps. But I was kind of worried about that going into nine, that it would feel more like that Metroidvania style of what I talked about in East Origin. But so far, it hasn't really felt like that. And I like what they've done with, like you were saying, that these movement abilities are tied to characters, because I think that's what made origin feel like a metroidvania is that you were getting items that would then let Mm. you get to new areas but if it's a character it feels different yeah definitely i agree and i also will say just to hopefully build up your excitement a little bit more uh, you're not just going to be in the city (laughs) oh i'm not what mind blown so there's a couple of twists and turns that are that are actually coming up really soon Uh, that will maybe surprise you interesting okay i'm very curious to see what happens next looking forward to seeing or hearing uh what you're what you're thinking of the game as it uh, unlocks uh, a little bit more um, and opens up Uh, i will say that i did i i do think that east nine is more briskly paced in comparison Mm -hmm. with eight uh, and it really does feel like something that you can get through like in a completionist uh, sort of format i would say probably in like two thirds of the time that that uh eight might have taken you um and some people i know upon the game's release felt a little bit contentious about that but i felt that the 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 pacing of the entire experience was was really great mm-hmm. um so i you're enjoying it so far yeah, for sure. And I I understand that sentiment of wanting more bang for your buck. But honestly, I checked out how long to beat when I was looking at what to play next. And I saw that it was like around 20 hours was the average. And I was like, that sounds perfect, honestly. Like, that's what I want. And then if I get through it and I want to play it again, I'll play it again. Or I'll go for extras or I'll try it at a harder difficulty. But I'm happy with 20 hours. I think that sounds really good. Yeah, and I, I think even the completionist uh, sort of run, I don't think is much longer. Um, I want to say it's like maybe only 10 hours more. Okay. Um, but the, the quest system in this game is very, very streamlined to the point where like you, whenever you get into a new area, you do like two or three quests and you get them banged out pretty quickly. Nice. Very elegant. Cool. Well, I'm I'm glad that you are enjoying uh, East Nine, and I'm hoping uh, to hear more on your thoughts of maybe the writing, some of the characters, maybe some of the plot too. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because I, I know I've mentioned that the characters are very different from the party that you meet in Eight, and I'm sure you're already sort of picking up on that already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that to be one of the reasons that Nine. Uh, grabbed me or grabbed my attention more than eight yeah i've been more interested in the characters already but i will keep you posted as we go on my east nine journey sounds good do you want to tell us about what you've been playing evan i i think i would i would like to tell you let's do that Uh, (laughs) so i'm just gonna blow past uh, a couple of games really quickly uh, before i get to uh, a topic of interest um, it's also always tough um, and, and 
we, we've expressed this previously in, in post-recording sessions, but when we have a, an episode where we have to do an enemy encounter, it's always tough to not sneak that sort of stuff into the now playing uh, mm-hmm. section. Uh, so I'm going to try to do that while also talking about some other games that I've been playing. So I, I had to bite the bullet and rather than pick up dungeon encounters, which I know I had said last week I was really considering getting, but I watched a little bit of gameplay of it and I, I bounced off of it really hard. Yeah, it looks I cool, just... but it's like I, you get it by watching a little gameplay, honestly. Like, okay, that's cool. Now let's move on. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big fan of first-person dungeon crawlers, but even though a lot of them have very minimal aesthetics, I really don't get any sort of environmental design from this game, and and that's that's a huge uh, problem for me. Um, so instead, I ended up picking up uh, Tetris Effect Connected for the Switch, and I'm really, really glad that I did. Tetris really has to be one of the first games I ever played. And I, I've heard, you know, some people talk about how Tetris is a perfect game because everybody can kind of look at it and say, oh, like, I, I get this. Um, there's no RPG mode in Tetris Effect. That's not <laughs> what I'm leading up to here. Um, I just really wanted to say that I, I enjoy this version of Tetris and it's visually stimulating in a way that you don't usually expect from Tetris. Um, but very, very uh, thrilling, very uh, engaging and, and enthralling in some ways. I'm, I'm just going to try to go for all these ING uh, <laughs> words. But uh, it, it, I find sometimes the, the amount of like visual and, and auditory stimulation, uh, it, it adds to the tension of the game in a way that is uh, really fun. And so... I can't recommend it enough to anyone who already likes Tetris, but for those of you who just kind of think that Tetris is a little bit too simple, um, this is this is like maybe one of the best therapeutic experiences <laughs> I can think of, even though my partner would probably say uh, that uh, it doesn't seem like therapy because I get really frustrated <laughs> when when I <laughs> am not doing well in it. Um, but the the release of of tension uh, upon beating uh, a stage in this is is really awesome so one other topic i'd like to just briefly touch upon is again i've been playing more of eastward and i think right now i'm in chapter four and i don't know how many chapters there are in the game i know that a lot of people have said that uh, a sort of straightforward story run through of the game should take you maybe like 20 to 25 hours uh, and that's I think the the pace that that I'm moving along at Eastward has surprised me in some ways, uh, especially with how the capsule uh, element and and just sort of some of the currency systems have factored into uh, Earthborn, uh, which is kind of its own separate thing. Um, but again, when I when I go back to this idea of of Eastward feeling like just Zelda, but with a couple of, of novel twists that really does, uh, that, that tends to be my, my ultimate takeaway uh, from this game, which is, you know, you have these two characters that you can split up sometimes and, and have do like specific tasks. But even when you're doing that, 
they have to be in close proximity to one another. They need to be on the same uh, screen, quote unquote, if you uh, understand the Zelda uh, terminology. Um, but the puzzles in this game aren't like super involved. I think the the game has impressed me with with some of the combat scenarios that it's put me into, uh, more because it's it, it's less about using you know your your acquired dungeon tool. Right to beat the boss, and it's more just kind of, hey, you've got to hit them X amount of times before okay. they kill you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like recently in this uh, latest chapter, I had to fight against two bosses that I had previously fought in two other chapters together. Um, and that was tougher because they do very different things and they attack in very different ways. And I just kind of had to do it um but outside of that again the aesthetics are are really gorgeous i i really do like the music and i i love just the way that things look but there's way too much dialogue in this game and it really does feel like something that the developers want to share with you so bad but it's not gripping me in any way Um, and maybe i'm just not the target audience for this but that's uh that's my my takeaway from uh, Eastward. So I'm really mm-hmm. just trying to push forward so that I can get more of the currency to get more items in Eastward, or not in Eastward, sorry, in Earthborn, uh, which I is is my main um, <laughs> is my main objective. That's cool yeah. that you've kind of flipped it around and you've made Earthborn the the focus of the game and Eastward kind of the sub game. It's actually pretty cool that, that that's a thing that you can do. Yeah, but it, it it is frustrating because they are such polar opposites in terms mm. of what they're asking you to do. Uh, Earthborn is so deliberately paced and lacking dialogue and very straightforward and objective, and Eastward is overly complicated sometimes. Okay, gotcha. So they're they're really hitting two ends of the the spectrum, um, and I wouldn't say that either end is perfect, but they do they are extremes. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I found that interesting. You were mentioning there being too much dialogue because this is something that's been irking me lately. Like every game I play, I feel like why are they still talking? Like I got it. Like I get what what's moving the story along here by like two or three lines of dialogue. But then they just keep going, and and I don't know why they're still talking. <laughs> yeah, I found this to be a really frustrating trend in a lot of video games, where mm-hmm. everybody needs to spell out what what it is that they're uh, coming to understand um, with one another. But Eastward more is th- there's a lot of uh, lovely animations in the game, and so they they tend to enjoy lingering on those, but there was like this post dungeon conversation that a whole bunch of other characters were, were having uh, that like really added nothing to the story. Like it, it, it didn't introduce any, none of the information was essential and it was sort of just world building. Um, but I never see those characters again and I never really interact with them. So like hearing their opinion on these topics, it, it, it didn't enhance my experience at all. Right, um, and, and so sometimes that really slows down a game too. Yes, well, it it slows things down in Eastward, especially because 
sometimes the dialogue i mean the dialogue unfolds in in a way similar to zelda games right where you have a text box and you need to scroll through all the text and i'm pretty sure you can probably speed up the text speed but even so sometimes it just feels like it's a little bit too much Mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's all i gotta say about that (laughs) what else Um, have you been playing the last game that i've been playing is one that i picked up a while ago and i was just coming back to because it seems that like every other week i've got to be trying out or getting into a new card based rpg got to Uh, so, so yeah so i've i've been playing a little bit of dungeon top uh which is a deck based uh or, or a deck building uh roguelike and it is similar to the other uh sort of standouts in that uh, subgenre but the way that it has a, a unique fold i guess is that the dungeon that you are progressing through is a large grid so there are a number of rooms that sometimes are interconnected sometimes are just uh, straight corridors uh, and each time you go into a, a new sort of room you can choose to maybe try to sneak past the enemy that's in there um, which means, you know, if there's a dead end, uh, you'll have to go back and fight them again, or uh, you can fight them. Uh, and then there are, you know, specific rooms for upgrading uh, your your cards. There are specific rooms for removing cards from your deck as well. But it's on the grid where the combat takes place, uh, where things become a little bit deeper than turn base back and forth. So you have a champion uh, card who is almost like yourself in Magic the Gathering, right? You've got like 20 uh, hit points yourself before you fall. And so your champion has a a much higher HP pool than than any other uh, card that you can get. But when you summon cards, you can only summon them adjacent to a card that is owned by you. So when you first start your match you can only uh, place them you know, next to your commander unit who can move around the grid uh, themselves. And so this adds a sort of positioning element to things too. Um, enemies that are ranged can kind of shoot over or shoot around uh, maybe some of your allied units and kind of hit you instead of them. So you need to be really mindful of that. And then you've got uh, cards that can, you know, do certain abilities, but you also have cards like a wall, for example, uh, if you're thinking of the Magic the Gathering uh, sort of relation, where you place it down and it can't really attack. And because this is grid-based, not only can this unit not attack, but uh, it also can't move around the grid. So you just have to drop it down, but it might provide like an effect uh, or a buff to all of your other units, which is neat. Um, so far, you know, I, I haven't played all that much of this. I haven't expanded into the other sorts of commander characters and their decks that they can utilize. Um, but it it translates these ideas to a, a grid-based format pretty well. Um, the only thing that I think maybe is is an area of concern is that you get three mana per turn and sometimes you can even increase that number but your units 
you know, once you summon them. They are, as an MTG player might call them, permanents. Uh, and so once they are summoned, they really do stay on the very limited sort of board space. But you can you can really fill up the board, and that can almost be a way to stop uh, your enemy from moving around, but also summoning units, uh, which is a, a neat fold. But I also think that you can get a whole lot of cards out onto the field with relative ease, and I wonder if that is an intentional design choice. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I was looking at some screenshots while you were talking about the game, and I was kind of surprised by how small the field looks. So yeah, I can see how you could clog it up pretty quickly. Yeah, and considering really, uh, I mean, cards can, or units, which which are, are summoned as cards, right? They can only move like one, maybe two spaces uh, in, in a single turn. So you, that maybe is, is the, the counterbalance. But it's it, it I I don't know if it's going to become a, a point of contention for me. Um, but you know, I've seen a lot of the very standard sort of uh, card based mechanics uh, inflaming characters, poisoning them, you know, um, even buffing some of the like health points or, or toughness points of, of certain characters. So in comparison with something maybe, uh, to, to go back to a, a game that I had previously talked about, I think I am enjoying this one more than Cardiclism. Um, but again, I don't think it has the addictive appeal of maybe something like Monster Train or Slay the Spire, but I also am pretty pleased with how brisk the actual combat uh, is. It, it really does seem like something you can get through. You can get through like a skirmish in maybe three to four minutes. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. So I, I maybe I've asked this before. Will have you ever played like a card based uh, RPG more in in this line? I know you've played Bot and Kaitos, right? Yes, I have played that one. Um, but yeah, not I haven't dabbled into them as extensively as you have for sure. But I haven't played a ton. Sure and. Right, you you also did play Steam World Quest, which yes. is similar in some ways. Which reminded but... me a lot of Batting Gatos because that was my experience. So yeah, I'd say those are my the my main experiences there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm always curious to see how this how these roguelike uh, deck builders take these mechanics and make them into something that is very much replayable for people to have people you know do run after run you want to sort of strip back some elements. And I feel like this game is like right on the cusp of having like too many things mm -hmm. to where it feels like too much of a uh, time investment to like deal with all these different elements. But um, uh, so far, so good. <laughs> cool. Well, it sounds like a fun one. Have to keep us posted. If I, if I do get deeper into it i will definitely uh, share some of that um, excellent okay, i think that just about clears up our now playing section yeah let's move on to our quests and i think you're first this week evan i am and so i'm very excited this was my first enemy encounter and it was also number 30 which is a very particular challenge i was supposed to play an rpg on an older piece of hardware or an old console uh so 
I feel like I might be cheating this a little bit. I didn't play anything on any sorts of uh, on on like Nintendo Switch Online or or anything. Um, in terms of how old this piece of hardware is, I mean it's a, it's it's relevant. Um, but the game itself is a DS game, and I played it on my 3DS. But I could have, if I really wanted to, I could have broken out my old silver brick DS, <laughs> and I could have played this on there. Um, which I'm still very proud to still own, uh, and and that it still works too is is something that I'm really impressed with. That that original DS is is made of that uh, that fabled Nintendium. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I have that, a blue one that, of like, those. So yeah, exactly right, and it, it's just it keeps trucking. I'm really really pleased with that. But the game in question that I ended up playing uh, is a DS original. So I had been on the fence uh, as to what I was going to break into. You know, there there are some uh, DS ports of SNES games. Uh, I had also considered breaking out my old silver brick to play the GBA version of Final Fantasy VI, uh, which I, I do have a copy of. But at the same time, I was like, I don't want to play a Final Fantasy game, which should tell you how much or how little i (laughs) how mm, how highly i think of that series (laughs) (laughs) um but no so this is a ds original uh the game in question is called elves and orcs which i believe is supposed to be a play on dungeons and dragons uh, although not as alliterative um have you ever heard of this game i have not no yeah uh not a lot of people have um, you know, back when, back when I got my my 3DS and I had a little bit more uh, expendable income uh, than I I used to, I had been going on some message boards and looking at like older uh, DS games that a, a lot of people recommended, and I, I ended up picking up a whole lot of of games, um, stuff like Okimaiden um, or Okamiden. I'm not sure if that if which pronunciation is correct. But some like weird, obscure stuff too. Uh, I picked up a great uh, DS RPG called uh, Fighting Fantasy, uh, which there's like a version of it on <laughs> on the Switch, but it plays very, very differently. Um, it's it's not really the same game at all. But this was one that I heard about relatively recently, and I guess like maybe just some people decided to. Uh, hype it up in some capacity Uh, it's a game by id software of all people Um, so id software best known for a certain other series that is is not related to rpgs at all Um, but id software known for doom right and i i want to say that uh, elves and orcs is running on the doom engine oh interesting <laughs> yeah uh, that, that's what i want to say i'm not entirely certain if that's true just the way that it looks it's very much in that classic doom um sort of level uh geometry you know the the, the characters and and everything are just uh sprites that are, are depicted in a 3d space um but Elves and Orcs is a sort of grid-based RPG. 
Um, and I would go as far as to call it a grid-based dungeon crawler. Um, but you are playing as a an elf uh, who comes to this mountain, this dwarven stronghold, and it is uh, overrun by orcs. So you are going to go and murder all of them and hopefully save the day. And you have this sort of talking wand who's with you and you have a sword. And that's really all your equipment that you start out with. And you just got to, you know, go through uh, each sort of zone and figure out the puzzles and uh, save the day. So it's a pretty, pretty neat little uh, RPG. Um, But I would say that it's limited in terms of its degree of role playing. Although from what I've I've played so far, I have not been able to complete the the game in in its totality. Um, there's been one moment in particular that I think has been like a real role playing moment um, that I can go into. But aside from that, I mean, you're able to pick up you you are a a magic user. Uh, you're an elf who has a magic wand, and your your magic wand is uh, is a ranged uh, sort of weapon. You also have this sword, um, and then you can pick up a crossbow, too. And I think that's the extent of the weapons that you can get. So there's not really a great deal of like creating a certain build uh, to, to use uh, against enemies, especially because a lot of the enemies are weak to like very particular kinds of damage. Um, so that is a little uh, strange. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so uh, just a, a few notes that I'd, I'd like to make about it. Uh, the combat does lack depth. Uh, it is a turn based in, in like the most basic sense. So every time you move on the map, enemies can move, uh, which also means every time you attack, an enemy can respond in reaction. Um, so really, it's sometimes just like running up to an enemy and then pressing A, which swings your sword or casts your your spell from your wand or it also fires your crossbow and you can you know take a turn if you want to consume a a potion Um, and the potions there's actually like a huge variety of potions which i think might be the way that like they're encouraging you to uh, experiment with choice the the thing that i really like about the game is the environments and so I'll just take the opportunity to sort of pass it back over to you, Will. I mean, are, do you have a great deal of familiarity with uh, first-person dungeon crawlers? I don't. I haven't played many. I think I want to say uh, the first Fantasy Star, which we were talking about earlier, is one of those. And that's the it is. only yeah. one I can really... Well, actually, wait, was the first Dragon Quest like that too or no? I don't know about the first Dragon Quest. Maybe just the battles were first-person looking. But yeah, Fantasy Star is the only one I can think of. So I, yeah, I don't have much experience at all with those. Yeah, and Fantasy Star does have this sort of design caveat that even even some of my favorite uh, dungeon crawlers also tend to share. Because I think I've mentioned before that I'm a big Etrian Odyssey fan. While I like a lot of the dungeons in that game, a lot of them are very natural Uh, in design but even then they also are very like corridor based and that's something that you definitely see with fantasy star is sometimes you're just walking down a hallway for like a very long time 
Um, the difference here is that these areas really do feel like structures. They they have a lot of symmetry to them at times, but they also just have like very deliberate uh, architecture to the point where it, it does feel like, oh, this is an actual place and there's decorations and elements throughout that uh, that make you feel like you're actually in a, in a world, um, which is, is really nice. And then there's also secrets too. So the secrets in this game really do amount to like running up to walls and pressing A and seeing if uh, an, an open or a chamber opens up. But um, the the game is also really good at like sort of telegraphing where these might be. So you might walk past uh, or you might go into a room and you might see that there is like a gated uh, door like on one of the walls and beyond that gate, you can see some treasures. And so you know like, oh, I need to look around in another room that is adjacent to this one that might have a... Uh, hidden uh, door that I can, you know, get to to pick these up. So the the way that the secrets are designed is is pretty cleverly done, and I I, I do like that. I also think that the writing is really strong. It's it's like surprisingly so. Um, it, it's got a lot of charm in a in a Western way. You know, they're they're definitely like, yeah, we know this is fantasy, so like we're just gonna throw some like whimsical stuff your way and. Like, you're talking with a lot of dwarves. Well, uh, specifically, you're talking with a lot of dwarf ghosts because they're all dead because they were all killed by orcs. Um, Spooky. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they, they are... I think they might be some of the only polygonal models in the game, uh, but which, which does give them a, a very eerie sort of feel in comparison oh, with everything else. Weird. Um, but they're they're still like very simplistic, and the way that they talk to you is like very stereotypical dwarf. They're like gruff and grumpy, and that's pretty much it. But I just went through like a whole chapter of the game where every time I wanted to get something from this dwarf, I had, and mind you, it's a dwarf ghost. I had to drink beer in front of him. So I had to like go and find beer to drink in front of him, and then he would be like, "Oh, you're you're a real legit like elf." Now I'll tell you what <laughs> what you need to do to progress this dungeon. Weird. Yeah, it, it's charming though. It's it's very okay. silly. Um, and then there's this other uh, like sort of I don't want to say it, it lampshades like the the typical relationship, but it does like twist it on its head in a really satisfying way you you eventually find a dragon who's like living in the top portion of this mountain and like when you first see it you're like oh god here we go i'm gonna have to fight this dragon Um, but instead your wand who like your wand can talk and it has like a personality of its own it's very strange but your wand is like oh hey we're obviously going to be killed by this dragon if we even attempt to uh to like fight it so why don't we just like negotiate with it and the dragon essentially becomes the merchant of the game so like when you bring it uh like special gems it will like it's there's even like a, a mood meter whenever you talk to it and like the 
the better it feels, the better deals you can get on certain pieces of equipment and stuff, which is really neat. Uh, but then you can also bring it gems from like bosses that you've uh, slain in in the rest of the dungeon, and it will uh, it'll improve its mood, or maybe it'll give you like a very rare item at a discount. Um, so I thought that was really neat. And I don't know, just the more that I play of this game, I I do find it very neat. One thing I I don't enjoy though is that this is like this is a 2007 Nintendo DS game, so it is a a ds ass ds game (laughs) (laughs) it fits the quest perfectly then yeah i think so because i mean there's a couple of other other games that i've played that have been like this in particular one that i would like actually recommend to a lot of people uh, if they can get their hands on it in some capacity uh there's a wizard of oz rpg on on the ds uh which is really cool but the way that you move around in it is on the touchscreen, there's like a, 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 a ball, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let, let me try to paint this picture. Have you ever been to like a Dave and Buster's or an arcade and they have those arcade machines that have like the spinning, the, the spin ball that like you can. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It, it's that idea, right? Oh. Um, but on the touchscreen. And so I'm googling this right now. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. So the touchscreen is actually just that ball. Yeah. And what you do is in order to move around in the dungeons, you have to spin the ball to make the characters walk forward. It's very, very strange, Um, but like slightly endearing in a way. So Mm -hmm. the way that this game Orcs and Elves uh, plays it is that all of your inventory management takes place on the touchscreen. And there are button commands that you can use to, to get to the touchscreen, but your touchscreen is is basically like if you were to be walking around a dungeon and then look down at your body, all of the menu items are like on your belt. Um, so it's it's as okay. if it's as if you're looking down at your belt and you have like a map and a flask and uh, a scroll for like saving your game and you can select each of them with with the touch inputs but also there is a uh, a touch input way of of progressing through the the dungeon as well there are arrows that you can press and then you can also strafe uh, and all of those controls are on the touch screen but you can access them with button controls too and so some of this stuff is like is touchscreen uh, oriented and because they give you options for both button commands and uh, touchscreen inputs, it, it feels like they just put these touchscreen inputs in there because they felt like they had to do that because it was a DS game. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it doesn't always feel warranted. Um, there There is a game that I would cite as like a great example of this, which is... Uh, there's an amazing 3DS game, and it was also ported to Switch, but I, I can only imagine that the, the Switch port is not as good as the DS version, because the the DS version of this game, it's called The Keep, um, is a, again, first-person grid-based dungeon crawler, and the combat is all in real time, actually. Um, so when an enemy like runs up to you, you can 
you can move around them. You're still moving on a grid, but you can kind of like strafe around them and, and dodge some of their attacks. But if you want to attack, you actually have to use touchscreen inputs. And I know that sounds sort of like wonky, but the touchscreen inputs are actually really, really great. And if you're a mage in the game, there's actually a rune board that you have to like organize yourself to draw spells on uh, accurately in order to cast magic. It's it's really good. Um, so very cool. Yeah. So that in comparison with this, it it they feel like worlds apart. But that's also just because I think Elves and Orcs is a very straightforward game. I think it is not trying to be anything more than it is and what it is is enjoyable um so it's maybe not my favorite uh grid-based dungeon crawler it's maybe not my favorite ds game but i am appreciating it for what it does um and what it does reminds me very much of as i mentioned before that game called fighting fantasy which is really just like it almost feels like a single session of a D&D campaign where like you go into this dungeon and you're going to kill all these enemies and beat the boss and that's going to be it um mm. which works so yeah that's elves and orcs cool you're making me want to bust out my 3DS and original DS cuz there are so many just cool things that those systems did and even like you said, there's some things that feel a little forced to use the touch screen, but it was cool. And like, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes it wasn't great, but often it was really fun or just a really cool, cool design choices that developers made, even just using, using the second screen, like you said, looking down at something or like organizing menus in a different way or like that Wizard of Oz game having a whole different control scheme on the touch screen. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when when developers really commit to those ideas and they say, like, this is how this game is going to work or function, mm -hmm. like, again, I would say that a lot of the dungeon design in the Wizard of Oz RPG is, is very mindful of the, the idea that you are going to be spinning this ball. And, I mean, Dorothy, it... it she almost like when she picks up speed it's almost like a sonic game <laughs> like <laughs> like the the dungeon corridors are like very long in order to capitalize on this idea and it's like it's very rudimentary 3d but like most ds games were but it it does have like a really strong aesthetic to it and that's very pleasing you know another like obvious example that i think of is uh is both Zelda games on the DS, you know, mm -hmm. are, are great examples of like committing to touchscreen and, and dual screen stuff. Um, I know that a lot of people have mixed opinions on them, but I overall do like uh, th those games and, and how they uh, make it work. And then, of course, Etrian Odyssey itself. I mean, they made the touchscreen a dungeon map and you have to map out the entire thing yourself which is a really neat and novel idea and i think it's sad that like you know again playing having played more um 
more first person uh grid based rpgs on the switch right i miss like being able to tangibly like draw that map myself because that's Mm -hmm. so much of the novelty of that and it's sad to me that we're never going to get another etrian odyssey game like that probably on the switch so that's that's me on my never the switch pro might have two screens Uh, i I hope not (laughs) honestly that would be weird unless unless it were one of those new uh like you know nokia has that like folding screen oh yeah oh nintendo would totally do that they would they definitely like a curved (laughs) system or something that you wear oh god let's not give them any ideas (laughs) i'm sure they've they've already no i've uh, the deep end on all those ideas yeah and i've also i've talked long enough about the ds even though i i think we could do an an episode just talking about you know uh, rpgs or or experiences on the ds but uh, totally i've talked about it long enough i'd like to hear about your quest will all right. Well, I just want to say, like, I love the DS and 3DS and consider it one of my all-time favorites. I lump them together, but one of my all-time favorite systems. Yeah, sure. So much fun. So much, such a great library. So fun. So many cool, innovative ideas. It was awesome. Definitely. Yes. But anyways, on to my quest. My quest was the best RPG in a series. And I had a hard time with this one for the opposite reason of previous ones, because I had too many... <laughs> options to choose from because series are kind of my bread and butter like i love to dive in and play every game in a series as you've seen recently from me discovering east and playing three east games in a row yeah very (laughs) Um, impressive so yeah i just look when i play it i want more and i want to see where it came from where did this start where is it going and along those lines like my thought process was trying to find a good series that was representative of this because I thought of some of my favorite games. I thought of the Xenoblade series, but I thought that was the series of Xenoblade is too weird to pick a best one, I think, because it's kind of experimental. When I think of the series, I go back to Xenogears, and that's not really the same series, but in my head it is. So it got messy, and I was like, I'm not going to pick that. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't work. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and then I thought of some some games that are the most recent in the series, and I consider them the best because they've iterated on great ideas they've evolved they've gotten better matched new technology um which is cool but i don't i don't i feel like that's kind of a cop-out answer because it's just getting better and better and the newest one's going to be the best like for example um dragon quest in that case i would consider to be the new one is almost always going to be the best because it's just building on the same ideas and making them better um so maybe that's a little bit of a hot take in itself, but I feel like it's kind of safe to say that. Um, so there are a lot of games that fit that category, but I decided to go with one that I thought was a little more interesting because it's a kind of a middle game in a series that I think hasn't been topped yet. And it's kind of a hot take, but also kind of a very safe, boring, me being basic as always take <laughs> in at least my first run through the quest board. So I chose to go with Final Fantasy VII as the best game in the Final Fantasy series. Wait, so Will, are you saying that Final Fantasy VII Remake is not as good as the original? I haven't played it, but I don't think it is because it's (laughs) not the whole game. Like, it's, it's a piece, and we don't even know what it is. We don't know what its scope is. We don't know how many games there will be in the game. That's fair. Uh, so I, I kind of throw that one out, but 
I realize that's a little unfair, and I will maybe I'll go back and revise this answer once I play it one day. Uh, yeah, we shall see. Uh, you know, we also might be waiting until the end of time for that project for to get sure completed. and that's another reason too why <laughs> i kind of exclude that one yeah and i'm also kind of excluding spin-offs and sequels and stuff because there have been so many and i don't think they would qualify as the best anyway um but okay. again i think the final fantasy series evolved over time and kept getting better and better and there were hits and misses ones that were better ones that were not as good um, but I think seven was a huge leap, much like Mario 64 was like this leap into 3d platforming final fantasy seven really made this rich RPG world feel fully 3d and fleshed out and kind of brought it to life in a new way that it hadn't been in the 2d era. And it expanded on a lot of ideas from previous games and just made them better and better. But what I think to me makes it the best is how elegant it is. And that's a term I like I, I used earlier, which I realize is kind of vague. But I think like we've talked about, a lot of games have too much dialogue or too many systems or they overcomplicate things. And that's why I think the games since then have gotten overcomplicated. They've tried to do too much. They've gotten too long. They've kind of started to miss the point a little bit, whereas that one was so tight and like the materia system where you which ties into the story and the world really well where you're refining like kind of these this magic force of the earth itself which is a major plot point from both sides like the antagonists are after it and the protagonists are trying to save it and it's just like the core of the story so the life force is refined into the materia which is the central aspect of the like the main core gameplay mechanics is using that material to customize your weapons and armor and use abilities and everything comes out of that and it's tied to the story itself and the characters are diverse there's a lot of different ones a lot of different types of people and animals and non-animal people <laughs> and um, like it's just a really rich world there's so much going on but it doesn't feel like you're ever just kind of you know, like everything feels like it's moving the story or the characterization along. It doesn't feel bloated. It doesn't feel like things have been added to for like not for not for the purposes of making the game better. Whereas a lot of games since then, I feel like have been like, well, we've got to add in this new thing to appeal to gamers who like the X type of game, who like open world games or whatever, you know, the hot new thing is, which I feel like it's tried to do more and more. Mm. Yeah, I can understand and that. The one point that I really want to make about the Final Fantasy series and this game's place in it is that it's kind of like I go back to this idea a lot that like it's kind of what would have happened if Dragon Quest had tried more new approaches to the gameplay itself and tried to mix things up more because each game has a whole different system that everything revolves around to customize characters that affects combat and a lot of times it feels kind of experimental and weird <laughs> and like final fantasy 8 for example i feel like it was a little weird um the system that they had in that one so it was a, a bit of a miss still a, a really cool game it was still fun but it didn't feel as tight and elegant in the way that it does in 7 
Um, and games since then have tried a lot of different new things that just kind of took the series in new directions, like making it more action-focused specifically over the years and to appeal to kind of like what's going on in gaming and what they think gamers want. And to me, it's kind of diverged after maybe 10 it started to feel like oh this isn't really the series that i loved before it's something different now almost but i think seven it was this kind of magical point where it had been iterating on things and making them better and better and better but it was still you know getting at that heart of what the the series had been known for before and what i will always remember it as so i know i've gotten on my soapbox uh previously i i have expressed my views to you will uh which is that you know a, a lot of these ideas that that you're talking about or or the the sorts of design philosophy uh elements that that you're touching upon i think are relevant uh in in some ways i do see the final fantasy series as something that has been split into like two eras you could argue that there's maybe like three or even four eras (laughs) but uh to me there is the sort of like basic japanese rpg uh Mm -hmm. format that was uh, applied and and iterated on in a whole lot of different ways but I, i wouldn't even say iterated on because I think you're right about seven being like a a perfect mix of a whole bunch of different ideas, because I don't think that seven's combat system at its core is all that different from six or eights or nine or five, right? They all utilize the ATB system. It's the customization that's happening on top of that that gives it the unique spin or twist. It's the materia Mm -hmm. or espers or junctions, right? Um, And that is is different. But then you also think of the structure of these games and and how they played out. And really, you go back to the, the sort of function of um, of dragon quest right which is like you go to a new town you get a new quest from the people in that town you go through a dungeon you complete that dungeon um you fight a boss rinse and repeat right, right? um which is how a lot of you know rpgs function it, it's it's a traditional structure and it works um but i think that when i look at a lot of these games and the reason that i don't want to play a, a lot of final fantasy is that I almost feel the same way that I do about Dragon Quest, which is I know what to expect with a lot of these older games. And the newer games, I would say, I, I think you're right, like post-10, the newer games have a have a higher likeliness of just having something that I'm not going to enjoy at all. Um, and I, I will say that I, I do think that Final Fantasy has always been, or maybe not always, I think starting with maybe four, uh, they they have always been determined to blend storytelling and presentation uh, mm-hmm. and to improve on those elements. And I think that seven is so beloved because it, it, it was the transition from 2D to 3D and they managed to 
update the aesthetics and the storytelling in a way that continued what was happening with six, because I do think a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who would argue that six and seven in terms of quality are like on the same level, Mm -hmm. but obviously seven is more popular for a variety of reasons. Um, And six is like the, the, the best uh, or one of the best 16 bit RPGs. Um, but then, you know, e- even as you go from seven to eight, the presentation improves, the music improves, and that continues really up until now, right? Which is yeah. all all of these Final Fantasy games have always prided themselves in terms of visuals um, and sometimes storytelling. Sometimes they take very extreme, uh, well, they go to extreme lengths to present the story in a different way and sometimes it works well and although i would say everything post 10 has not worked well um 12 i think had a a really fascinating world but a really Mm -hmm. blandly told story um 13 had a very like rich world and a very poorly told story uh, and 15, I, I don't know all that much about, but I don't hear lots. I mean, I hear a lot of people say, like, the story felt like it wasn't even essential to the experience. And so mm-hmm. that's that's what concerns me the most about this series and where it's going is can they still tell an actually compelling story? Um, and to go back to the remake, too, you know, you I, I think you are right in some ways in saying that like do i want a 40 hour version of the first i mean what would you call what would you call midgar is that the first it's third like the of the game opening like yeah. i think they said third or something in the like info about it but i don't think that like that doesn't feel right to me i feel like that's it's the first like the very opening of the game it's the first disc though right of, yeah of the the ps1 version right so like do i need this 40 hour version of these events and like do i need all of these side stories and and more dialogue to communicate what was already a good story in the first place Uh, right that's a good question and it makes me wonder if square enix is really just leaning on nostalgia in order Mm -hmm. to get people excited about something that they already know could work but at the same time also i've heard things about (laughs) seven remake that make it seem like it's going to be going in a completely different direction and uh, that's a little bit too much for me to to deal with mentally right that's how i I feel kind of overwhelmed by it as a whole and i want to check it out and I've heard great things about people loving it and discovering the franchise through it, which is cool. But I just want to see what what it is before I dive in. Like, I want to see how many games there are. And if there's a, a collector set for the price of one game down the road, I would be much happier to dive into that, even if it's like 10 years after the initial launch, just to know what I'm getting into and how many installments it has will it be finished i don't i'm scared to dive in and then have there be like five games and then they never get to the end because final fantasy 16 
something happens with that and they make a sequel or whatever or the heat death of the universe takes place that is a very realistic outcome as well (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about realistic but yeah i mean i i do think you're right do i do i feel that i need to buy every single iteration of this until the final you know experience Mm -hmm. or or, you know even if the bundled experience were to be a significantly higher price point because of Mm -hmm. you know like the compilation nature it would still feel better to me to get an entire narrative right i just want to know how long it is and how many games there are and does it cover the whole story or is it something completely different that spins off i don't know i don't think they know either (laughs) Uh, i i i I do believe that though i do believe that they don't know how this is going to end and that is very concerning to me (laughs) right i don't know but you know again you, you think of for for all that he did for squaresoft and all all of the risks that he took as well um Hironobu Sakaguchi, who was the director from Final Fantasy 1 until, I want to say, around 9 or 10. Um, He at least contributed to game design and then story design. And, you know, he ultimately was the one who pushed for uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, right? Because he thought Mm -hmm. that that storytelling and, and movie making and, and creating digital avatars to, to portray or to, to portray the action in movies was the next step for the, the company and it didn't work out. But I think his ideas and his uh, arrangement of all of these pieces was so essential to, uh, to those original final fantasy titles. And, and that, and I, I really do feel that once he was gone, Final Fantasy as a franchise lost a, a bit of its soul. And I don't know how much you can contribute to just him, right? Because the mm-hmm. games are games are huge products, right? But I also know that uh, Nobuo Uematsu, uh, you know, his presence in that franchise also diminished as uh, Sakaguchi left, and then. They work together on the last story, which is maybe one of my favorite RPGs of all time. So I think it has something to do with that. <laughs> I feel like there's some good evidence to support that. Yeah, but, you know, some people love Final Fantasy 15 or Final Fantasy 13. Mm-hmm. And I think they're good. They're fun games. Um, and everyone's unique and different. So I think it's hard to say what's best but to me i feel pretty safe in going with seven just because of that tightness of it and that's something that more and more i feel like i've used as a criteria to kind of evaluate games and how successful they are is you know what how economical are they how do they deliver fun engaging content that keeps you hooked the whole time through without being slow or bogged down or feeling like there's a lot of filler or backtracking Um, And how do they have enough complexity to keep you interested without overwhelming you, but have that kind of elegance of design where it feels simple on the surface because it's teaching you how things work and evolving in a natural way. 
but there's still so much under the surface that you can do once you understand how those systems work. And I think that to me is key in saying this is the best one. I will not debate your decision. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> I will not debate your choice. Uh, but again, I think that's also because you've played a lot more of these games than I have, and it's not fair of me to judge this series. I've played a lot of them, <laughs> but and I appreciate uh, your... your uh, what am I trying to say here? going along with me on this but if you had to just to just to throw this out there if you had to pick what you thought was the best would you pick the same or would you pick a different one i would i would go with six okay personally and uh it's just because i think six what six does is it understands that it has a formula and it takes it is ambitious in ways that for its time were like perhaps unthinkable. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I just, and you know, I, I know a lot of people love the soundtrack of seven and I mean, Uematsu's work is, is great no matter what game you're talking about, but I six's soundtrack is, is on this level to me that I, it's it's i listened to six's soundtrack before i played the game and i was like wow this music is great Mm, Um, interesting but the idea that like you have storytelling you have character motivations and concepts being explored in an opera that exists within the game that you also have to you have gameplay segments unfolding uh-huh. over is like so incredibly ambitious that it blows my mind that they were even attempting that at that phase. But also I really do feel like that the team felt that they were in their prime at that time to deliver a story like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, I, I think it's it's a, a fascinating conversation to have because six and seven are right next to each other, yep. and one represents like the polish of of the sixteen bit era, while the other mm-hmm. one represents the promise and potential of the new era of three D yeah. gaming, and they both they both sell those ideas so well that this is this is what this is everything we're capable of doing in the 16-bit space mm-hmm. is six, right? And then seven is saying, like, this is all that we can do in this new space. This is all of the new stuff that that is possible. And um, the, the only reason I, I think, you know, I prefer six over seven is that I would say... I don't think any of the games following seven delivered the same promise that seven itself did. Mm. That's a good point. I really like that way you put it that, uh, that six was doing everything to its maximum potential and seven was kind of carving the path forward. I think, cause I think that that is like the right spot where the series was at, was at its prime. And I think it was between those two and yeah, 
I like eight and I think it did a lot of cool things, but I think it, for me personally, it didn't hit the mark that I was looking for after that as much. I still enjoyed like eight, nine and 10 a lot. And I've enjoyed the ones after that too, but it's just been kind of different. I mean, in some ways too, like how do you follow up a game like seven? Right. right? It's, it's... They probably should have called it something different after that. <laughs> <laughs> seven, seven should have been the final fantasy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. But the naming conventions of that series have always been frustrating to me. Right, after the second one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Again, we could have an entire conversation about that that series. Uh, yep. And I, I would love to. Um, but I think we should also, for the interest of time, uh, end it there and maybe move on to our next quests. Let's do. And I okay. think you are up first for your role. Sure. So uh, I stopped at 30 because of my enemy encounter. So it'd be kind of crazy if I were to roll a six myself. But let's see what happens. Do right? it. Let's see. And nope, just a four. Okay. Uh, oh, a subgenre that you hate or never got into. Hmm. Whew. Okay. All right. I got it. Spicy. Yeah, we'll see. Sounds like it can be fun, though. All right, but let's see. Will, will you top out at 40? Yeah, I'm getting close to the end of the board. I'm on 36 right now. Here we go. I also got a four. So that puts you at number 40. So this is... Oh, this is an interesting one, too. You have to tell me what the quest is. I do. Uh, So this is kind of... (laughs) We probably should have huh. discussed this before the episode yeah. started. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you want to pick that now or do you want to come back on that at another time? I mean, I think it would be it would be very suspenseful if we were to just say that that was your quest and not tell people what you're going to be playing. But uh, we can also I already know what I want you to play. <laughs> Okay. I mean, it, what it says on the board is play an RPG of your co-host choosing. So I'll leave it up to you if you want to leave people in suspense or not. No, I think I think it has to happen right now. Okay. What is it? I would like you to play Crimson Shroud on the Nintendo 3DS. Okay. That's the one that has uh, like dice and what else? To, like it looks really tabletop like, right? Yes. Okay. It's also very easily completable under 20 hours. I'm not going to push you to complete it. (laughs) But I would really like to hear your thoughts on this. Excellent. That sounds cool. And now then I get to revisit the DS like we we talked about earlier. It's poetry. See, this this podcast, if you didn't know any better, you'd think we had this plan from the start. But we didn't. (laughs) We should have. That would have been smart. Next time. We'll definitely be prepared the next time. Yeah. Uh, well, I think with that said, uh, I-, I am really excited to get to our next episode. Uh, we will also, because it's a boss encounter, you can't have a good boss encounter without some new boss encounter music. So you will definitely be hearing that next episode. <laughs> Not this one, though. But uh Let's let's head it over into our plugs because I think that's pretty much all that we have to say. Um, so first things first, you can interact with us specifically on Twitter 
at RPG PodQuest. Uh, and if you ever have any questions, comments, concerns, any ideas for quests, because now that we are officially through the board uh, a single time, we are going to be starting over, but we're very open to adding new quests to this quest board. So if you ever want to share any sorts of thoughts, uh, either about topics we've already discussed or things that you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send us an email um, at the RPG, well, not the, uh, just RPGpodquest at gmail.com. That's where you can... uh, you can talk to us. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Spotify, on Apple, on Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are there. Um, and I'm also thinking we should try to expand our uh, social media presence into some other uh, platforms as well. But we'll talk about that ourselves, Will. Um, yeah. Where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at CosmicXLibrary. And I will also be hopefully streaming more on Twitch, also at Cosmic Library. No X on the Twitch version. Hoping to stream some Final Fantasy XIV this week, but that might be after this or before this episode comes out, so I'm not sure if you will catch me there. But I will be streaming more as the cold weather approaches. All right, sounds good. And you can find me at RPGSEB, RPGs EB, on Twitter. And uh, I am not streaming anything, but I am sharing music, I'm sharing drawings, I'm, I'm all over the place, and I'm giving hot takes on the Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pass. Uh, so, with all of that said, I think it's time for us to go where, Will? Where should we go? Let's go onward. And upward? And upward. Oh. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll get that down, too. Yeah. All right. See you around, everybody. See you around.